Hello, Trinity family. My name is Chris McDaniel, and I am here today on the podcast with Dr. John Hundley, who attends our church on the West Side and is a part of our COVID response team. And we thought it would be helpful to bring you as a congregation in on the ongoing conversations that we as pastoral staff are having with a team of doctors who love our church, go to our church, and have been walking with us through this pandemic. So, John, um, I've been speaking to you since very, very early in this conversation. Um, I think you and I probably were connecting back in in March, but it's only been recently that we've put you in dialogue together with us with a team of doctors. And so I would love for you just to give us a sense of the kinds of doctors that make up this team, including like, what do you do for a job and why are we having this conversation? Sure. Uh, thanks, Chris, uh, for having me. So there are four uh, people that are on the, the COVID response team. Um, I am a transplant surgeon, uh, liver, kidney, and pancreas transplant at Piedmont Hospital. Um, been going to Trinity for eight years. Uh, and then we have two other physicians, uh, one of which is a hospitalist that takes care of a lot of COVID patients and, and one of the other hospitals in town. Uh, the other physician is a intensivist. So he's an ICU doctor that his specialty is in neurointensive care, but he has become over the last uh, you know, year, he's been focusing a lot on COVID patients. And then the, the last member is a CDC uh, expert. Um, I, I'm not sure what Bill's degree is. He's really, really smart and he knows all the data. I think he's an epidemiologist, um, uh, but that's the, that's the makeup of our advisory team. So John, this group and the conversations that we've been having with you guys has been actually very helpful to us as a pastoral team, because early on we were thinking, you know, who do we listen to? Are we going to take our cues from CNN or from Fox News? Are we going to try to decipher this and become experts ourselves? And so I just want to say here to those of you who are listening on the podcast, this group of doctors have been invaluable to us precisely because they love our church and worship in our church and want us to get back to some semblance of a healthy future and a normal. And so, John, I think it would be really helpful for our church to hear uh, a little bit of a current state of the union with regard to COVID in Georgia. Like, what are you seeing? What's happening in the hospitals? And why that should maybe matter for us at this stage in, in the pandemic? Yeah, so I think it helps to tell the story over the course of like a year, what happened, because it's hard to understand where we are now if we don't know what has been the case for the last you know, 11 months or so. So our first wave that we hit at Piedmont, um, we had, um, this was back in April, you know, we peaked out at about 400 patients with COVID hospitalized in the healthcare system. Um, and only about 45 of those were at Piedmont. Uh, Atlanta Hospital, where I'm at. Um, just to put that perspective into perspective, 45 patients might not seem like a ton, but when you're talking about hospitals that are almost full all the time with all kinds of other things, that's a lot of extra strain on, on a hospital. Um, the second wave that hit, we were at about 80 patients at Piedmont Atlanta Hospital um, with COVID and in the healthcare system, about 800. Um, and this third wave that just hit, uh, and we're kind of in the middle of it right now, we thought it was dropping. We've actually gone up a little bit in the last few days. Um, we've peaked out at, in the 120s at Piedmont Atlanta, which is almost a third of our hospital, um, and well over a thousand for the healthcare system. Um, 
the string, those are all just numbers, but let me tell you what it looks like. What it looks like is the strain that it places isn't just on um, beds and, uh, and, and patients with COVID dying from COVID. It has a ton of other ramifications. So our staffing is a huge problem right now. We have a shortage of nurses, respiratory therapists, all kinds of, um, of different clinicians within the hospital that have stopped working um, because of COVID. And so we have a huge um, scarcity of just manpower to deal with all these patients. Um, there are a lot of patients uh, that don't fall into the statistics of COVID deaths that die because of COVID. And what I mean by that is somebody that's out in rural Georgia that has a, a brain aneurysm or something like that and needs to get into one of the three or four hospitals in the state that can handle it. And in the past, they would have just been, you know, flighted in immediately. But now there's delays of days and days sometimes, and those patients are dying waiting. So I would just say it's never been more grim in the hospital. The, the, the stress that the doctors and nurses are feeling right now is, is absolutely at its peak. Um, and I can say that that's true for my hospital. Uh, the other two docs work in two different healthcare systems. They feel the same way. And, and certainly at a, on a system level, Piedmont's the biggest healthcare provider in our state now and at a system level Atlanta is not even as bad as most of the of our other hospitals so we're um yeah it's a, it's it's a grim situation right now I think one of you on our recent doctor call which we had I think just a number of days ago used the word crisis when it came to your experience in in the hospital situations and I think for me, at least, that that's an enlightening thing to hear from doctors who are not just talking heads on TV, but actual people we know who who worship with us. Because, you know, the day-to-day -day reality, when you're just kind of navigating your own kind of socially distanced world, you don't necessarily think of what's happening in the hospital just a couple of miles down the road. And so is there any for you as you think about um, I, I guess the the question we hear the most maybe right now as a pastoral staff is other churches seem to be safely reopening and going inside and having kids ministry. Why, why, why can't Trinity come inside and do those things? Now, I know ultimately that's not your final decision to make, but we're asking you these questions because we're hearing them. So what would you say, John, to, to people who would just say the church down the road's doing, doing this, what, what is wrong with Trinity? Why isn't Trinity doing it? Right. So first of all, I'd just like to say how happy I am to be the name now that people can associate with the not getting to go to church. Um, so, <laughs> just kidding. Um, You're on to I, me. No, I, I totally get it. I, I, I totally get it. And I understand even, I mean, I'm on the, I'm on a three day weekend right now and I've been away from the hospital for three days and I'm looking outside and, it doesn't feel like chaos. It doesn't feel like a disaster. And I, and I hear stories. So I really have tried to have a lot of grace for that question. Cause I get it. I, if you're not in the middle of this, it seems like a gray area. And, and what I can just say is that the premise of the question, other churches are doing it safely. Why can't we do it safely is a, is a false premise. So to say that churches are doing it safely says that, that church is doing contact tracing and making sure that people aren't dying because of their decision to open church and worship together. Um, and that's a false premise. I mean, you know, when we discussed it in our, uh, we had a zoom call with the church leadership before the uh, tagged along to that question was if it's safe to go to target, why isn't it safe to be in church? And the answer is 
guys, newsflash, it is not safe to be at Target. So <laughs> it is not safe to be anywhere around people that uh, could potentially give you COVID. And so the, that premise is, is, um, is false. Uh, what I can say is, you know, one of the other docs on the call that we had said, you know, he told the group, he said, well, I just had a patient that I was putting on the ventilator who told me I got this at church. Um, there've been whole church choirs that have gotten COVID and the majority of them die from COVID. So, so again, I think that's a fault, faulty premise. What I can say is this, the, um, the real experts, and we're going to people at the CDC. So I'm, you know, I'm kind of representing Piedmont to let you know what the healthcare system looks like. But I also have a, a close friend who is an, an infectious disease doctor that is leading the Piedmont response for the whole state. And she laughs at me when I tell her, hey, when could we do this? When could we start reopening indoors in any way? And she looks at me every time and she knows I'm not, I'm expecting her to respond this way, but she just laughs at me. Um, I was talking to a friend at the CDC the other day who posed that same question on behalf of his church to a group of experts, and they all laughed at him and said, are you crazy? You can't, add, you know, adding big groups in, inside, indoors is the very last thing that we need to do when we're trying to protect the most vulnerable in our communities. So and that, that actually, um, unequivocally, yeah. That, that's such sorry, a helpful. Go ahead, Chris. I was just going to say, John, I mean, when you talk about protecting the most vulnerable, another question that I hear a lot is just, why wouldn't you just let me choose? You know, I, I think Trinity is made up of a lot of young, healthy people who might be actually minimally or negligibly impacted on a personal, physical uh, level by COVID. And yet what you're getting at here, I think, is that the heart, for me at least, of what it means to belong in the body of Christ, which is that I don't just make choices based on what works for me, maybe, or what I think works for me, but also on the kind of wider consequence of what it means to belong to one another. And so as you unpack that idea around the vulnerable, um, I, I guess, help us understand um maybe the unintended consequences, because you say like contact tracing, I think we all have a vague understanding of what that means. I, I think I hear you saying just because someone doesn't drop dead in your church or who's a member of your church doesn't mean that they might not go and unknowingly infect someone, even if they're asymptomatic. Is that is that what you're getting at there? Right. Yeah. And I think, you know, there's there's a lot of ways to look at that. There's a ripple effect. If, if we're all going to church, and we're doing it because we it's our freedom of choice and we want to be together and we're going to do it. Um, and one of us contaminates the group and that group goes out and, and adds, you know, I mean, the, the simple fact is when people die, it's always an, a single exposure that they had with another person. And it's easy to kind of say, well, me going to church wouldn't affect anybody else. You know, I'm, I'm making my own choices. And I certainly think, and I don't think that we are, but if we were a, a church body that we're all just doing whatever we wanted all the time, then you could make an argument, well, sure, if, if we're not doing social distancing, if we're not being careful and trying to protect the vulnerable people around us, then let's just meet. But, you know, that's not the case. Um, we're, we should be trying to protect those people. And it all comes back to just a single event, you know, for each patient in this country that has died, 400 and some thousand those are just statistics, but it all came back to one interaction they had with one person. And, and the thought of um, 
somebody or a handful of people dying because we open church is, you know, it's a, it's a, um, that's a really terrible thought. And one of the things I just want to say is, you know, the easy thing to do as a church staff is to open church because um, it, you know, you're the leadership deciding not to do that has, you know, it, it can only hurt you as a church leadership. So I just honor the leadership of our church for thinking about the least, uh, the most vulnerable in our community and trying to do what we can and really trying to lead by example for all the, the people that go to our church and say, hey, no, it's still time to clamp down. It's been a year, yes. We all hate it, yes. But it is still time to be cautious, to be careful, to be doing everything we can to avoid it. Um, I love church. I'm a, as you know, Chris, I'm like the world's biggest extrovert. It's been a year. I hate this. Um, but the um, the alternative is just unthinkable to me. Mm. That's a really well but, well yeah. said. And I think for me, I mean, this has been um, we we joke, but it's mainly because we don't know how else to say it. But n- no one taught us how to navigate a pandemic in seminary. I if that had been a class offered, I probably wouldn't have taken it because I would have thought, when are we ever going to have to navigate a pandemic? And yet here we are. And we said early on at Trinity that we were going to be, we were going to take a careful approach, not a fearful approach, but a careful approach. We were going to take care for what it means to be the body of Christ. And, you know, at our church, we we have a broad coalition of people, right? People of differing ages, differing health concerns, and differing political ideologies. And for better or worse, we've made the choice to say we're going to be one of the first kids out of the pool and one of the last back in the pool when it comes to resumption of life as normal. And I just want to say to you guys listening to me that that's been our steadfast approach, but that approach has been borne out and pressure tested through conversations with people like John and the doctors that we're engaging with. Because we are all tired of this. We, we you know, I, I think we've heard this. Uh, we're kind of over COVID, and yet I, I'm not sure COVID's finished with us. You know, there, there still seems to be a lot in front of us. So as we're thinking about, John, the future, do you have any, um, I guess, counsel for how we ought to behave individually to be good citizens and good stewards um, of our personal liberties, but also collectively. And then I would love if you have anything to share with us that might be encouraging, like on the vaccine front or something like that. I'd love, to, we'd love to hear something good maybe in the midst of this conversation. Sounds, sounds good. Yeah. So, you know, going back to the, to the very first comment you made about the political, you know, this has somehow become a political thing in our country. Um, and I just want to say, like, our the physicians that I work with, there's 800 physicians, very broad political landscape, right? So some very conservative, very progressive, liberal, but everybody is on the same page with regard to COVID. For physicians, this is not a political thing in any way. This is, we're all, we're all in agreement on what we need to be doing with COVID. So I just wanted to say that there is a lot of, a lot to hope for, and it really revolves around the vaccine, um, but the vaccine isn't going to fix. Just having a vaccine isn't going to fix the issue unless people get vaccinated. So, you know what the what I would say to the individual people um, that are listening to this is, get the vaccine. Uh, there isn't a single physician at Piedmont that I'm aware of that has not gotten vaccinated. Um, we all see what's happening 
And, you know, your community doctors, doctors that have seen what's going on are all getting vaccinated. And so the first thing I would say is vaccinate yourself, not necessarily to protect yourself. You know, if you're young and healthy, you're like, ah, I could get through COVID. It, that's not what this is about. It's about protecting everybody else around you. Um, and so the first thing I would say is get vaccinated. And if we do that, if we if everybody that is able to be vaccinated gets vaccinated, then we come out of this. And COVID, I believe, will be a kind of a part of our normal life, but it's going to be a controllable part of our life, just like influenza is and other things where we deal with it. Um, you know, I don't think it's going to go away in our lifetimes or, you know, I think that it'll probably be around, but it won't be dominating our culture. We won't, you know, we'll be back in church. We'll be back hugging each other and crying together and praying together and all of that. Um, but it's it's going to take everybody that can getting vaccinated. Um, and that's really how we protect our community and protect each other. It's really helpful, John. And I, I think I take heart in your statement there that there is going to come a day where we will be back inside worshiping, hugging, and probably doing more than our fair share of crying just out of sheer joy that we get to be the body of Christ yeah. in a gathered way. Um, so thank you for that so much. And I just want to say to you who are listening to me as your pastor, that we understand both as pastors and doctors, the stress that's been caused by this pandemic, both concerns about the physical health and also the emotional isolation that many of us are experiencing. I, I would argue all of us who are taking this seriously feel cut off in some ways or our life with others is, is diminished. And so I just want to say this, while we are going to continue to stay the course, and that means worshiping outside with masks on, socially distanced. Um, our parking lot looks like a big polka dotted um, parking lot right now because we keep people in circles. We're going to keep doing that. We have no plans in the immediate future to go inside. We're not going to do that until it's the right thing to do. And we believe one day that'll be the right thing. We're going to continue to call you to learn how to be the church scattered. See, I, I tend to believe that it was easy, relatively speaking, to be the church gathered when we could get together, just get that mm -hmm. shot in the arm for church. But learning how to be the church scattered means you have to actually cultivate relationship. And that's hard to do in the middle of a pandemic. And so I want to say to you, press into your relationships, but we are here for you to help you cultivate those relationships. We have over 400 people in neighborhood groups that meet in backyards scattered across our city groups of 10 or under to try to be mindful of the reality that's presented, the risk, frankly, presented by big groups. And so while we're going to continue to stay the course, we would encourage you to visit our website for more information about how to sign up. You have to register to come to our church services because there's a waiting list and we cut it off because we want to monitor crowd sizes. But we are going to commit to you to do our part to get you through this season, both by giving you opportunity um, and also encouraging your hearts. And so we want to pastor you, reach out to one of us if you're going through something, because we want to be here for you. Um, I also do a podcast now that gets devotional content onto your phones three days a week. So if you want to hear a short sermon, um, a reflective talk, visit Renewing the Center, wherever you would access podcast content, you can listen and have hear, hear words from your pastors. But John, I just want to say to you, and I'm just so thankful for your leadership, for uh, your willingness to tell us the truth, even when we don't want to hear it, uh, your willingness to bear with us while you want to do what is right for us as a church, as you give counsel. Is there anything you want to share with us here at the very end before I pray and turn us loose? 
Um, yeah, I just want to reiterate that there's hope. I mean, we're almost there. You know, it's been almost a year and I get it. It's interesting that the frustration with us not being together, it's it's peaking now because we're a year into this, even though there's never been a worse time for us to be together than right now. Like this is at the very worst time. Um, so I just want to encourage like we're, we're almost there. I mean, we're near the finish line. We just need to get several months of vaccinations and we'll be together. And I, I can't wait for that. Oh, me too. Me too. Let me pray for us. And then John will turn you back to doing whatever it is you're doing over there at Piedmont Hospital. Father, I thank you for our friends. I thank you for John. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us the courage and the clarity to continue navigating, to, to bear up under the weight that is this remarkably difficult season that we're all in. Lord, have mercy on us. I pray specifically for our doctors and our nurses and our healthcare providers, God, that John would represent a, a body of men and women who are really serving on the front lines, caring for those who are vulnerable. Would you bless him and them? And I pray also for Trinity. God, I ask you to see us through this season. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you all. We are amen. thankful to have you join us for this podcast, and we'll be sharing more updates like this as time goes on. Thanks. Bye.